Another episode of Truths Be Told, the podcast. I am your host, Lindsay Mullen. And this is, of course, the comedy storytelling podcast where I have amazing guests on the show and they tell true stories from their life that revolve around a theme that changes up every single episode. This show is recorded in Toronto, in my bedroom. And I am so happy, happy and sad, to be sitting here recording right now. It is bittersweet because this is the very last episode of Truth Be Told, the podcast. It feels really weird to hear myself say that, actually. I feel so lucky. I feel so lucky to have had the opportunity to create this show. Truth Be Told launched in June of 2018 So it's been about two years and there are 30 episodes and I just counted there have been 125 guests on this show. 125 people. That's crazy. That's so crazy. I can't believe I talked to that many people. I can't believe I annoyed 125 people. This show has been lucky enough to win awards, Canadian Podcasting Awards. It's been lucky enough to be featured on New and Noteworthy and Made in Canada on Apple Podcasts. But more importantly, this show has been lucky enough to connect with you. The biggest achievement of this show is the fact that you're listening right now, that you took some time out of your life to find this episode of the podcast and give it a listen. So I just want to thank you, whoever you are. I want to thank you for listening. Maybe you're only listening to one episode. Maybe you're a sporadic listener Or maybe you were into the show for a while and then I got annoying and so you took a break. Totally understand. The people in my life do that. I totally understand. I am a very high-maintenance individual. I don't know if I could walk around with me in my ear all the time. Or maybe, maybe you have been listening from the very beginning. Or maybe you binged the show during this pandemic. I don't know what brought you here, but what I do know is that I'm so thankful that you are here. I'm so thankful that you gave this show a chance. So I want to thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. 
And thank you to all my guests for sharing. Oh, wow. You guys shared so much. Funny moments, sad moments, cringy moments. Some of you guys were cringy as fuck. Your stories, that is. Oh, my God. You've been through such embarrassment. And you were brave by reliving it with me. Thank you. So let me walk you through this last episode because it's a big boy. This episode is big. I wanted to fill it with as much variety as it could handle. So there, of course, will be stories on the podcast. It's a storytelling podcast. So I have a couple guests telling stories. I tried to get a nice mix of, of funny and uh, aha moment type stories and also, you know, something that makes the heart ache just a little bit. So there's a nice little variety. I will also tell a story, because why not? Um, the quote of the episode, I'm actually going to feature a few quotes, so that's going to be exciting. There's also a segment called Moment of Truth, which is uh, a new segment for you to enjoy. The panel discussion is all about comedy, and I'm with two funny men on that, which is great. And near the end, I will be answering questions that some of the listeners have sent in. Going to answer your questions. And then uh, we'll wrap this bad boy up eventually. It's a long episode, but there's a lot going on, so uh, stay tuned. So I was giving it a lot of thought. I thought, what story will I tell on the very last episode of my storytelling podcast? A lot of pressure. But then I thought, let's go with light and funny. Light and funny and kind of embarrassing. So this is the story about how I learned what oral sex was. I know some of you are in a coffee shop right now and you just did a spit take. You just, you just spilled coffee everywhere. Uh, no, I'm not going to tell you some super raunchy story about blowjobs or something. No, I'm going to tell you about how I learned what the words oral sex mean. I was about 13 years old. And, you know, when you're 13, you usually have to take like sex ed in health class in public junior high school. And uh, for whatever reason, I didn't realize that oral sex was blowjobs or cunnilingus. I didn't know that. I guess I'd come up with my own definition of what that was. I thought oral sex was making out. I know it feels... Oh, wow. It feels really dumb now saying that. But when I was 13, for whatever reason, I thought the definition of oral sex was kissing. Maybe a little French kissing. That's what I thought it was. So I was already a weird, loud chick when I was 13. I, I didn't care. Sometimes I got made fun of. I was just, I just let my freak flag fly. I didn't give a shit what people thought. 
kind of love 13-year-old me. I need a little more 13-year-old me in my personality now. So I'm at school and we are in health class and uh, I don't know how we got on this topic. Maybe somebody asked a question that went into the anonymous question box for our teacher to answer and um, somebody said something about oral sex and the popular girl in front of me said quite loudly in front of all the other girls she said in response to the idea of oral sex she said ew gross and I was sitting behind her and I thought that is such a strange reaction why is why is kissing gross and so I said very loudly for everyone to hear what do you mean gross and she turns around and looks at me and she goes I would never do that I would I would never perform oral sex and I am shocked by this cuz all the girls look equally grossed out I'm sure their opinions on oral sex have changed, but at the time, their 13-year-old minds were like, gross, I would never. And I said, what are you talking about? If I had a boyfriend, I would do it all the time. And everyone's mouth like dropped. They all just stared at me like, what? And I said, if I had a boyfriend, I would have oral sex every single day. Like, why even have a boyfriend if you're not going to have oral sex all the time? And some girls are laughing at me, but most people are just stunned. I think my teacher just kind of stood there stunned. And this girl just looks at me and point blank says very confidently and very matter-of-factly, uh, you're a slut. And I just remember rolling my eyes and going, who is this prude? What is she, a fucking nun? You're not going to make out? You're not going to experience a kiss? This is where my brain goes. So, um, <laughs> so fast forward one year later, after the health class incident, I am sitting on my porch in suburban Calgary, I am on the phone with my best friend, Kelly. I have a Cosmo Girl magazine in my hands and I'm reading her some article that has some statistics about oral sex. And I forget the statistic, but it was something like 55% uh, of teenage girls report that they have engaged in oral sex, something like that. And I read this statistic to Kelly and I say, that seems rather low. It says these girls all have boyfriends and only 55% of them have engaged in oral sex. That seems very low. I said, if I had a boyfriend, I would make out all the time. Why, why wouldn't I? And she goes, wait, what is it that you think oral sex is? And I'm like, 
What do you mean? It's making out. And she goes, oh my God, no, no, it's not. That's not what oral sex is. And I went, what do you, what do you mean? What, what, what is it? She's like, it's, it's when you suck a guy's dick. And immediately, I felt my eyes widen. And I am transported back in my mind to that health class. And me speaking on behalf of oral sex, advocating for, for oral sex, like a, like a congresswoman. And I, I, I am now somehow mortified. I am like bright red and I'm like, oh my God. And uh, yeah, all the shame and embarrassment hits me. And I hear Kelly laughing on the other end of the phone. And she's like, what? What is it? And I tell her this story and she's laughing her head off going, oh my God. And I think this is why I'm not popular at school. This, this is it. Anyways, guys, that, that's a fun story. What a fun way to learn that you fucked up. <laughs> um, I would ask you guys to send in your messages about how you learned what oral sex is, but I think that might be a little too gross for me. So uh, please never, ever do that. All right, time to jump into the quote of the episode. Now, this is the last episode, so it was hard to pick a quote. So what I have done is I've actually made a list of a bunch of quotes, a bunch of quotes that really resonate with me. Ones that I um, find entertaining. Remember, I don't um, necessarily stand by the ideas being expressed in these quotes. A lot of the time I like a quote because it showcases the, the character of the person who came up with it. It really shows the way they think about the world and the actor in me finds that very fascinating. But some of these are also just plain inspiring or interesting. So I'm going to read you guys a few, okay? So Canadian writer, there's a Canadian writer named Robin Sharma, and he said, don't live the same year 75 times and call it a life. Interesting. John Wooden, who is a well-known American basketball coach, he once said, be more concerned with your character than with your reputation. Your character is what you really are, while your reputation is merely what others think you are. I love that. All right, next quote is by philosopher Alain de Botton. He created the School of Life. I love this guy. His quote is, There is no such thing as work-life balance. Everything worth fighting for unbalances your life. This is the kind of quote that I throw at boyfriends when they don't make enough time for me. I'm like, work-life balance. Make me a priority. Okay, and this next one is attributed to Joan Rivers. Famous comedian. Now... 
we can't be certain that Jones said this exactly, but a lot of famous comedians have kind of secondhand quoted her by saying she said this. But nonetheless, I really like this idea. The quote is, there are no victimless jokes. I always try to remember this quote when I'm trying to craft a joke for a script or for a sketch or for some project on stage. It can be really hard to tell jokes, especially in a climate that we're in right now that's very sensitive to things. And you're trying to balance being a good person and being socially aware. And uh, you're trying to balance that with still remembering that every joke has a target and you have to make light of something. Also, I think it's important to remember that not all jokes exist to hurt. Jokes also exist to heal. So poking fun at something isn't always synonymous with being cruel. I think that's really important. Listen, listen to the comedy panel discussion we have in this episode later on. We'll get into it a lot deeper. All right, next quote. This quote has been attributed to Charlie Sheen, but this quote has been said uh, many different ways by, I think, many different people, mostly men. I don't pay them for sex. I pay them to leave. So that's uh, Charlie Sheen talking about sex workers. Just really think about that, guys. I mean, it's kind of a brilliant quote in a weird way. Yeah. I guess when you're at that level, you don't have to pay for sex. But you're paying to not have a hangers-on, someone you have to deal with afterwards. You're paying to be alone. That's kind of sad. Good quote. Weird quote. Okay. Here's another quote by Henry Kissinger, of all people. This is such a weird topic for him to be discussing, but here's the quote. Nobody will ever win the battle of the sexes. There's too much fraternizing with the enemy. That's kind of cheeky. Again, really weird quote to be coming from him. Okay, last quote. The last quote, guys. Here's an embarrassing thing. Uh, Another example of me uh, not knowing something that's kind of obvious that everyone else knows. Um, This quote is by Confucius. Here's how stupid I am. I thought Confucius was a group of people. I didn't realize that Confucius is one philosopher. I didn't realize that was one guy. (laughs) Maybe because there's an S on the end, I thought it was plural. I thought Confucius was like a pack of dudes who had really great quotes. And I thought, man, they did it again. What a team. No, turns out Confucius is one guy, which makes it more impressive that he has so many good quotes. Okay, here's the quote. We have two lives, 
And the second begins when we realize we only have one. That's deep. That's really deep. I like that one. Good job, Confucius. Seriously, he has so many good quotes. Look it up. Really good. Okay, it's time we jump into the last episode of Truths Be Told. Are you ready? Yeah! Are you ready to have fun? Yeah! Are you ready to get a little bit misty because it's hard to say goodbye to things? Yeah! Okay. Enjoy! I'm sitting next to comedian Matt Foliot. Hi! Hi, Lindsay. How are you? Good. Good. If my voice sounds a little muffled, it's because I'm wearing a mask because of COVID times. Yes. Yes. If you were trying to escape from that reality for just a moment on this podcast, (laughs) just know that you can't. COVID is ever present and he is being safe and wearing a mask. That's right. Screw you. We're not letting you escape it. You're living (laughs) in it. Deal with it. Uh, Matt is so lovely and he's great to talk to you can have long amazing conversations with him if you if you know him even a little bit like maybe you know him in the Toronto comedy scene but you're like oh he's a bit intimidating which is what I thought for a long time thanks Lindsay I appreciate that (laughs) but you'll talk to him and then suddenly you'll be like wow he's so nuanced and smart and you can have these long great conversations where you feel lots of great things. Thanks. And yeah, I'm not intimidating at all. Uh, do you remember we were just talking, I was just talking about how I like to stand as opposed to sit. Oh and yeah. I, you and like... I talked to you for about that for maybe two or three minutes. So yeah, you like I don't know. I don't know anybody who's intimidating. That's like, you know what I prefer standing. Right. <laughs> right. So, Absolutely. and then really talk to you about how I prefer standing. Yeah. I sat on a bench and you, you stood there yeah. next to me. But I do prefer standing, but that's not what any intimidating person would ever tell you. Of course you. <laughs> not. There was absolutely nothing domineering No, no. An intimidating person would be like, I'm taking MMA classes. I'm like, I like to stand. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah. MMA is mixed martial arts. Oh, I know. I know. I just have to mansplain to you. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm intimidating. That's You're what an intimidating, intimidating person does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He also has lots of tattoos. You yeah. can't tell because this is a podcast, but he is covered in tattoos. I am, yeah. Which I actually think is great. Yeah. Yeah. The scars of my past. The sc- oh, wow. I don't know. He said some were just for fun. <laughs> they are. Some are for fun. Do some have deep meaning? Some have meaning, yeah. But most are just for fun. Most are just for yeah. fun. Okay. Well, I brought you on the show just for fun. Great. And uh, you have a story. Yes. Go ahead. Okay, yeah. So here's my story. Um, First, I'm going to take you back uh, to when I was about six or seven years old. So if you can, I just want you to kind of drift back to that time in your life when you were a little kid uh, to six or seven, when uh, you're sort of perceiving everything from a six or seven year old's vantage point. Right. Um, I uh, grew up in East York in Toronto. Uh, East York is the only borough in Canada, still is, even though Toronto is a mega city. East York has that claim to fame, the only borough in Canada. Is that true? Yeah, which I think means it's smaller than a city, bigger than a town. I think that's what a borough is, but don't quote me on that. I thought a borough was just a place where 
people that wish they were from the main part of the city <laughs> live in, and then they tell out-of-towners that they're from the city. That could totally be correct as well. It's maybe just a complete fabricated thing to make people feel better okay. about their living situation. <laughs> okay. So I, I grew up in a, in a house in East York, and... Um, I shared a room with my brother upstairs in my house, and that room was next to my parents' bedroom. And so one night we went to bed like we always did, and um, I woke up in the middle of the night, and uh, again, I shared a wall with my, with my parents. And in my six or seven-year-old brain, when I woke up, I thought what I heard was my mom asking for water. It sounded something like this, like, water, water. Water. Like it it sounded like that. Like somebody moaning and groaning. The word water. For water. That's, again, this is my six or seven year old brain. This is what I thought I heard. I think because, you know, moaning and groaning, to me, that sounded like somebody like, um, like crawling through the desert, seeking out like uh, something to quench their their unquenchable thirst. Right. So that's what my six or seven year old brain heard was like my mom moaning for water. And of course, me being like a superhero at that age, somebody who wants to help everyone, I sprang out of bed and was like, my mom needs water. (laughs) And, you know, you'd think at that time too, that you would actually go get water, but I didn't. I was like, I'm going to go check first. And then if it's actually a water situation, I'll go get water. At least maybe that's what I was thinking. I'm not sure. So I barged into my parents' room and my mom didn't need any water at all. Um... (laughs) Because um, she was in the middle of uh, sex with my dad. My parents were having sex. And so I I ran in there and they were having sex. And the real image that stands out in my mind when I went in there is that... So it's going to be a little difficult to describe this without seeing this. But I'm going to try and... I don't mind seeing it. They're not my parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was kind of like my mom was lying down. Like, you know, head at at the top of the bed, feet at the bottom of the bed. But then my dad was sort of like a cross, kind of like this, what I'm doing. Oh, you see what I'm doing here? Kind of like they were making almost like a cross. cross. He's like making a, like a cross, cross with his hand. So I don't know what sex move that is. I, I ne- I'll never know. I don't know how a man can be on top, yet lying across, making a plus symbol, basically. May, may I ask a yeah. question? Is she on her back or on She's her She's on tummy? her back. She's on her back. Yeah, so I don't know if he's just scrambling. Or like, <laughs> like, I don't know what he's doing. I don't know if he did scramble off and he was kind of like, they kind of like ended up in that position. But that's what I saw. And I still can't explain it to this day. It Like, to me, it always looked like the helicopter blades. <laughs> like, it really did. That's what oh it looked like, God. helicopter blades. Um, and so I did what any kid would do, seeing something in front of you that you have no explanation of or you don't know what it I mean literally it looked like a you know a scary and in, in, in pers- what is it, impressionist painting to me I had no idea what I was seeing uh, so I just screamed and ran out of the room did they see you uh, uh they did see me yeah they totally saw me and and I screamed and I ran out of the room and not very far because we shared you know I shared it with my brother and the room was right beside so I ran into that room and they got their clothes on and they came into the room and they, um, I believe they tried to explain to me what, what happened, but I was so sort of like in hysterics. Like I just didn't know what I saw. And I think I was mainly just 
asking if they were okay. Oh. Yeah, because I, I think I, I maybe thought they were in trouble or something was going wrong in the bedroom. I'm not sure. Are you still sharing the room with your brother at this point? Yes. Yeah. Oh, the funny God. thing is, is I don't know if he's woken up at this point. He might just be sleeping all the way through this. Okay. And I remember they just were like, no, everything's okay. I think my mom may have tried to explain a bit to me what happened. But I was just sort of in the state of having just woken up, having thought something was terribly wrong. So I was like very jacked up and still quite tired, still sort of like, you know, it's it's probably two or three, no, maybe one or two in the morning. So I'm, and you know, I'm a little kid. So I'm sort of, I'm sort of both hyped up and also like just dead tired and exhausted. I'm curious, were your parents kind of like, while your mom's trying to deal with this, did they have like embarrassed smiles or were they serious? Like, you know, from, from what I remember, it really did almost seem serious. Like, oh, we were fucking and this kid interrupted us. <laughs> and now, now we have to explain to him what this is or like try to comfort him. Like it did seem like, oh man, I ruined the groove. <laughs> oh wow! Okay. Which I think is very funny, oh, but of course they were very nice, and I think they got me some water. Funny enough, huh. even though I thought they wanted water, and my mom did. Um, and and then I I know I quickly drifted off to sleep, and I think sort of the great thing about being a kid is, you know, you wake up in the morning, you're not even certain that it was reality. Yeah, you're like, oh, that could have been a dream, or I'm just gonna get over it because that's what kids do so quickly. Yeah. So I don't think I ever thought about walking in on my parents having sex till much later on in my life. And it doesn't feel like there's no heavy baggage to it. It's just a really odd thing to remember to one day go, oh, oh, I walked in on them having sex. Right, because even then when you went to sleep, back to sleep, you didn't know it was sex. You were just confused. Yeah, I don't think I did. And I so don't... years later when you find out what sex yes, is. Yes, yes. And that's the thing. And I don't think they really mm. did explain it to me. They just sort of comforted me. And we're like, hey, are you going to be able to get to bed? And I did. I drifted off to sleep. And I don't think I ever mentioned it again. But yeah, later on when you're like, yeah, when you're, you know, when you're getting sexual yourself and like thinking about sex and exposed to that, I think that memory sort of came rushing back. Oh, wow. Uh, um, um, Just that like, oh, yeah, like I saw two people have sex and those people were my parents. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my! Which I always wonder too. I'm always like, did that have like an effect on my sex life? Like now do I like to watch people have sex? Like maybe I do. Maybe that's something I haven't explored is that maybe there's like, that's like informed my sexuality. I I think it'll only inform your sexuality if you try doing... You know, the, the helicopter the, blade, the hot cross bun or whatever your parents were doing. <laughs> That's like true. The... That's true. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, because I don't want to say like my sexuality is tied in with my parents. I don't think no. it is. I mean, everybody's yeah, yeah, in a Freudian in a Freudian way. way. But what I'm saying is like, yeah, did like, like, does it have, did, did I get influenced by that? And I'm like now a little like voyeur, like I want to watch, though I don't think I am. No, I don't think you yeah. are either. Yeah, I'm pretty, I'm, you know what, for the audience out there, I'm, I'm, I'm a prude. I'm pretty. You're a prude? I'm pretty running the mill yeah i really see this is another thing that's surprising about you maybe because you're covered in tattoos and you're an artist and all that kind of stuff maybe people would assume that you're like a wild guy you're super you know you're an improviser maybe you're just mr free spirit but Mm. maybe you have some convention to you that's a little bit boring i do yeah i think that's comforting hey thanks Lindsay. yeah i think that's a nice mix (laughs) 
I am a nice mix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a perfectly mixed Aperol spritz. There That's you what go. I am. Yeah. That's nice. I'm all the right parts. Yeah. Thank a little you. bit of mystery, a lot of convention. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A lot of conventional stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um... I love that story. Yeah, that's it. That's my that's my story of walking in on my parents having sex. That's good, and you're 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 better for it. I, I am. Great. And to the people out there, if you hear somebody moaning for water, you're probably mishearing them. Yeah. They're probably just moaning in ecstasy. They don't want any water. Well, they're thirsty, just not they're, for what you can right. give them. Right? Oh. Yeah. Oh, now I'm seeing this a whole new light. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Um, Matt, you're so wonderful. Do you have ways in which people can see more of your work? Yeah, yeah. Follow me on Twitter, at Matt Foliot. Same on Instagram, at Matt Foliot. And if you like animated shows and you can get VRV, which is a streaming platform in the States, uh, there's a great show on there called Bigfoot that I did some voice work on. And uh, Bigfoot, the lead, is voiced by... Uh, uh, Kate Trevor Wilson, who's a great stand-up oh, comedian, yeah, he's and there's great. yeah, there's tons of great comics from Toronto on that show. And it's a very funny show, and I think I play a squirrel on it, who's who's very rude and fun, and I play a a mystical crow. So yeah, there's some characters I play on it. It's fun. He thinks he does. He's yeah, not yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. No, he's I do. I do. Sure. Yeah, I'm trying to be humble. I play a mystical. <laughs> I play a mystical crow on it. Yeah, yeah. For uh, for a, a split second in an episode. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Matt. Thank you. This was fun. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. So I put a lot of pressure on myself when crafting this final episode. I wanted this episode to be satisfying for people who have been longtime listeners of Truth Be Told. And I wanted to make sure the show went out on a bang and not a fizzle, you know? So figuring out who the final guess would be for the episode was a challenge. There were just too many good options to choose from. And I wanted to showcase as many different voices and perspectives as possible. And so I have found a solution And this solution will allow me to cram a bunch of people into this episode without making this episode 10 hours long. Necessity really is the mother of invention. I've created a new segment called Moment of Truth. I've collected five people and I have composed 10 questions. These questions are very revealing, if answered truthfully. These answers will showcase the inner workings of a person's mind. You will see their true nature. That was my goal anyways, and I think it turned out pretty good. So who are these five guests? Well, we have Nigel Vasquez, who is a film editor. Avery Jean Brennan, who is a transgender actor and advocate. Kathleen Vu, who is my current roommate at the moment. Andrew Hunt, who is a TV writer. And last but not least, Ramona Williams, who is a two-year-old baby. That's right. I got the hot take from a two-year-old. And honestly, 
it's kind of amazing that she was able to answer even half of the questions because she's still learning to speak English right now. Seriously, it's remarkable that I interviewed a baby. She is still working on basic motor function. So the fact that she took the time to sit down and answer these questions when she has so much on her plate right now, I mean, it's just amazing. Oh, and quick shout out to her parents, Gavin and Gianna. Thank you for helping her answer the questions. You guys are the true unsung heroes. Okay, let's, uh, let's get into this, this fast food interview style. This is Moment of Truth. Question one. What is your all-time favorite meal? Mashed potatoes. My all-time favorite meal would definitely be two large orders of chicken wings from my favorite restaurant in Vancouver, Nam Pen. All-time favorite meal is a Wendy's spicy chicken sandwich with a side of McDonald's fries, because Wendy's fries are a little too doughy. And for dessert, a Big Turk chocolate bar, which a lot of people find gross. It doesn't get a lot of love in the chocolate bar community, but I think they're amazing. Uh, there's like a really bad Chinese food restaurant back in Halifax, Nova Scotia called Jeans Chinese. And they do these like combo platters of their Chinese food there. And it's like super cheap, super greasy, like objectively bad Chinese food. Um, but I really love, they have this like chicken fried rice, ginger beef combo with spring roll and... That's my favorite thing. Do you like ice cream? Question two. Who is a famous performer you really enjoy watching? Bruno Mars. I wish I could dance like Bruno Mars. I wish I could sing like Bruno Mars. And I wish I had a flawless hairline like Bruno Mars. I really enjoy watching Amy Poehler. Uh, she was always my favorite on that cast of Saturday Night Live back when she was a part of that. And when she moved to Weekend Update, I loved watching her and Tina Fey together. I love watching Tiana Taylor. She has great music, great style, great dancing. Jake Gyllenhaal. He's a weirdo. Question three. What are you afraid of? I am afraid of bad things happening to the people I love. But I also have some irrational fears, too. I'm afraid of a frisbee landing near me in a park and being expected to throw it back. It's a skill that I lack. I'm afraid that all of my plants are going to die. Spiders. I am afraid of abandonment. I've had a number of experiences in my life that have left me feeling really abandoned by people that I thought were supposed to care for me or be there for me or yeah like the the really important people in your life I've been left behind in a lot of situations and 
forgotten about. And uh, that's left a real complex in me that I am working on a therapy, which I would recommend everyone do is uh, get their own therapist. Um, but no, I would say that's still my biggest fear is being abandoned, being left behind, being forgotten. Question four. What is your most annoying personality trait? Um, my most annoying personality trait would be how clingy I am. <laughs> I'm a very needy person. Um, I talk a lot. I need to talk a lot to people. I'm a little embarrassed by this one, but I think it's anytime I hear the word you in a song, I change it. I change it to poo and I'm not proud of it, nor do I even find it funny, but I can't help turning things like we will rock you into we will rock Poe or Whitney Houston's I will always love you becomes I will always love, you know. I don't like working on things unless they're perfect. Laziness. Question five. What is something that the human race needs to work on right now? The human race right now has a lot of things it needs to be working on, I think. Um, but if I had to name one, I think gen- generally it would be empathy. Because I find so many people, like when I'm doing my advocacy work for the trans community, um, it's a... Uh, I run into a lot of people who are like, I don't know how to understand that because that hasn't happened to me. And I don't think we should, I don't think we have to have something happen to us to understand how it could affect somebody. Like, I think we all need to be able to work on our empathy and our imagination a little bit. I think we need to work on redeeming people that have wronged society. Compassion. Not judging people so quickly. I recently saw a group of teens acting rowdy as they exited a Chick-fil-A and I rolled my eyes and then they gave a bag of takeout to a homeless man. I shouldn't have been so quick to judge. Can you say, be nice? Be nice. Can you say, be friendly? Be friendly. Can you say, have fun? Have fun. And love everybody. Question six. What did the last text message you received say? Yep. Uh, Last text message I received says, LOL, message me whenever you want. Hey, any chance you have a DSLR stills camera? Like Canon Rebel or something similar? I've got the desire to do some photo boarding and I'm looking for one to borrow. It was a photo of a little table that my mom bought for my dad for their 40th wedding anniversary, which is this weekend. My boyfriend just texted me, (laughs) Kay. Question seven. What is your go-to insult when you are in a fight with someone? I don't think it's appropriate to insult people when you're fighting them. You told it. You're stinky. No. Is Lindsay stinky? I'm not a very confrontational person, but when I was a kid, I loved loser, whatever, fly away forever. I think the best insult that was ever hurled at me was from a group of teenage boys. As I was walking by them, one of them yelled, 
that guy's walking like he's got a pickle up his butt. And uh, it's honestly affected <laughs> the way I've walked ever since. Oh, really? You think that's the right thing you should be saying to me right now? You're not attractive enough to be acting like this. Question eight. What is the best advice you've ever received? Honestly, like as much as RuPaul is problematic in a lot of other ways, I think the best advice I've ever received is a quote from her, uh, which was, what other people think of me is none of my business. I've always liked that 50 Cent song that goes, uh, go ahead and switch the style up. And if they hate, then let them hate and watch the money pile up. I don't always follow this advice, but work is infinite. You can only manage time. Probably like, who gives a fuck? Question nine. Can you describe the most romantic moment you've ever been a part of? Uh, my boyfriend and I had come back from a date. Uh, it had started snowing before we had come home. So I had on sandals, um, which I couldn't put into the snow. So he carried me from the car to my door. Making breakfast in the morning after canoeing into our campsite in Algonquin Park. We were sitting at the beach, um, eating sandwiches on a bench. And he dropped his sandwich on the ground. And without skipping a beat, just like looked at it, picked it up, dusted off like the sand from it, and then kept eating it, which objectively like one is like, what is that? <laughs> Two, a little gross. Like, it, like... I don't think a lot of other people would find that very romantic, but for some reason in me that watching him do that just is what made me realize like, oh my God, I love this person. Someone put a secret admirer Valentine in my locker in high school and the envelope was full of magazine cutouts of the rock band Finger Eleven and there was a ticket to an upcoming local Finger Eleven concert with a note that said something like, I know you love Finger Eleven, see you in the pit from your secret admirer. And I went to the show and it happened to be someone I had a crush on at the time. And we went on a few dates after that and then just became friends, but I never had the heart to tell her I was not a Finger Eleven fan at all. I, at the time I was obsessed with a band called 311. So I, I think that was a little mix up there. Finger Eleven, 311. Question 10. What is a final message you'd like to leave with me for the last episode of my podcast? You should be proud. You had an idea in your head and you turned it into something wonderful that exists in the world now. You're like the Green Lantern. And you know what? I can't believe I'm featured on the same podcast that featured Marv from Home Alone. I'm never going to wash my ears again. Congratulations. You did a whole pack class. You did it. <laughs> uh, thanks for inviting me to be a part of it. And uh, I can't wait to see what you do next. Uh, yeah, congrats. Keep doing whatever you want to do. You should keep doing the podcast. I think it's quite lovely. Can you say bye, Stinky Lindsay? Bye, Stinky Lindsay. Bye, Stinky Lindsay. Bye, bye, Stinky Lindsay.
with Raki Morazaria, and she is an actor and comedian here in Toronto. Hello. Hi. Hi. You've come over to my apartment. We're both wearing masks. It's we're very fun. <laughs> yeah, we're sitting far apart, and um, but the intimacy is still there. There's closeness. Definitely. Yeah, definitely chemistry. Um, you have a great story that was uh, very relatable. <laughs> For anyone who dated in their early 20s. Rough. Yeah, it's rough. Rough. Times. rough. Tell, tell me what happened to you. Okay, well, I guess it all starts in university. My first year of university, Frosh Week. Um, I met this person, this guy, who was kind of like a skater. He was like a wakeboarder, a skateboarder. He was like every kind of boarder, snowboarder, all the oh. boards. All the, wow. Really yeah. chill, cool dude. He was so chill. He was real surf. Surf, sort of voice, like he would always go like, ah, yeah, like oh. that was his thing. Oh, okay, yeah, great. <laughs> like you know, like you know, and he had like a flat cap, and obviously I was so taken with him. God knows why, but this 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 man with his terrible name and his terrible personality, <laughs> I was really drawn to him. Um, and we did have like a connection. We like chatted. We used to like go to the, these electro dance parties, and then stare at each other and then go home and chat to each other and then sort of fool around like we had sort of a thing going with right it. okay it was very consistent yet inconsistent relationship just hooking up hooking up and we had like you know it was the first year of university so you kind of like shared your ner like you know all the stuff that's going on when you're ner like nervous about all your like ah oh, what's gonna happen here and there like we kind of bonded over that so I would say that that was like kind of like the basis of our relationship. And then after university finished, uh, so we, that was like first and second year and then never again. And then after university finished, I was living at my parents' house and working on a golf course, as one does, uh, and sort of in a place where I was like, what do I want to do? Like, I knew I wanted to be an actor and a comedian since time. And mm -hmm. I felt like this was the time to actually go ahead and do it. So I would take these like classes, these drop-in improv classes, and that was like really important to me. But of course, somehow, uh, this guy and I started chatting on Facebook Messenger, I think. That was when Facebook Messenger was really cool. Yeah. I mean, it still is cool, but... <laughs> don't worry, we're, we're not sponsored by Facebook. <laughs> you don't have to tell us it's cool. It's not cool, but that's how we <laughs> talked. And, and we sort of reconnected over this, again, this feeling of, oh, what is life? What are, what are we doing? And he was living in Muskoka making chairs. Was he making Muskoka chairs? Yeah, and like furniture and oh. wooden stuff. And I was, you know, living at my parents' concierge at a golf course. Like, it was just, it was very funny. So Weird question. Is this guy like... This guy sounds super white, the way you're describing Oh, yeah. Mega white, The rich, Muskoka, the wake rich. morning... Rich, okay, got Very, it. Like, I did not know it at the time either, because I guess I just, like, you go to school, and that was, like, the first year of university to me. I had all these friends, and I'm like, cool, yeah, everyone's the same. We're all living in a dorm on the same floor, and then second year of university, or, like, once everyone goes off home, you're like, oh, you live in Vancouver in a gigantic house with a pool, and you go to Palm Springs sometimes. Oh, okay, we are not... <laughs> We're not the same. same. Okay. Uh, it was a big realization with a lot of my friends. But um, yeah, he was super white and super privileged. Uh, and didn't. I don't think I really understood that at the time. 
Anyway, so we were chatting, reconnecting, and he said, I'm coming down to Toronto, thinking that I lived in Toronto, even though it was the GTA. People outside of Toronto just don't know that, but whatever. <laughs> I was like, I'm coming down to Toronto. Do you want to meet up? Let's meet in, like, at Eglinton, which again, not Toronto, but <laughs> sure. So we went, we went to a bar, we like got a picture, we went to get pizza, we just, we had a nice time. We had a nice good old first year of university kind of time. Mm -hmm. And then he was like, you know, I'm staying at my sister's apartment at Eglinton Station, somewhere there. Do you want to come over? And I was like, okay, well, I know what this is about. For sure. Let's do this. Let's go. Um, so we get to his sister's apartment and we're like fooling around and I don't know, things just sort of lead into each other. And at a certain point in the evening during our intercourse, <laughs> during our that's what, they, that's what they call it. <laughs> yep. There is a little mishap. And as a result of this mishap, there is a little, there's like blood that comes. Not a lot, just a little bit of blood that came out of me. <laughs> Are you me. allowed to... Do you want to tell you what happened? It, well, yeah. I okay. mean, I mean what, what was the, the mishap? So the mishap... Only to your comfort level. So the mishap was like a little bit of a, a slip to a different hole. Oh. Without... Oh. <laughs> without a chat. Just sort of like a... A thing that may have, you know, I truly don't believe it was, uh, like, intentional without regard and, like, in a, in a predatory way. It was just sort of, we were all, we were, we were, we were fucking around. Like, shit was happening. Yes. And I, then, re I remember sex in the early 2010s. <laughs> and when you're I just remember. Like, you know, yeah. So, um, that happened and I was like, whoa, oh, e ow. And uh, then, I, you know, I was like, no, not there. And then we just continued. And then there was a little bit of blood and a, a little bit of blood on white sheets. By the way, the sheets were white is like pretty big and honestly pretty big for a guy. Like guys get so freaked out, I think, by blood. Oh, um, yeah. And especially on white sheets. And again, of course, we were at his sister's place. Sure. So I go to the washroom um, and I come back and he's like literally freaking out about this. He's so freaked out about the blood. And he's like, are you like, are you on your period? Like what's going on? Like, oh my God, my sister's going to kill me. And I was like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not really sure. I'm ready to admit that maybe it came from like our act. So I was just sort of like, I don't know. And, and I'm like, don't worry. Like you can just tell her you spilled wine or, you know, you'll wash the sheets or you'll figure it out. It's not the end of the world. But he's really caught up about this. So... And he's caught up about the fact that his <laughs> sister will catch it, not like, are you okay? And precisely. This is precisely skateboarders dude's vibe. <sighs> okay. <laughs> so somehow I'm there comforting and being like, don't worry, it's going to be fine. She'll understand, <laughs> right? <laughs> Right, so uh, yeah, we fall back asleep, everything's chill, and two hours later, of course, because this all happened in, I don't know, four o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, he gets up to drive back to Muskoka. And uh, I do recall him saying to me, like, I will drive you back to, to your home, like in the suburbs. But at that time in the morning, like, it was just, he was just on his way out. So I was like, I guess that's not happening. Uh-huh. And he said to me, you know, like, hey, stay as long as you want. Uh, like, sleep in. My sister's not going to be here till the evening. 
And can you, and I was just like, I'm not gonna do that. Like I'm in a stranger's home at Anglington Station. Um, and he was like, oh, and I cleaned up a bunch of the beer cans and some of the, the cigarettes. Um, oh yeah, he called cigarettes darts. I don't know if that's a thing, but. Yeah, this, this I'm, you're painting a really specific picture. Now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyways, so, yeah. he, so he left. He left and he was like, can you clean up some stuff when you leave? And I was like, sure, I guess. So minutes after he leaves, I get my stuff together to leave. I clean up some stuff, send him a message being like, hey, I'm on my way out. Uh, cleaned everything up, putting the key where you told me to put it, yada, yada, yada. He sends me back a message being like, can you do me a favor? Can you get rid of the sheets? Can you take the sheets off? And I'm thinking, well, that's weird, but okay. So I take the sheets off and I'm like, what do you want me to do with them? He's like, ah, just throw them out. I'm like, full sheets, wow, that's so luxurious, <laughs> okay. So I take the sheets off, I run out of there, in Eglinton Station, throwing them into the TTC garbage. Oh my God. Like a serial killer. <laughs> what? I know, I just felt so weird about the whole thing and I just felt so, yeah, anyways. Got home, slept, and then woke up and I was like, cool, it's time for my, uh, my drop in improv class that I used to take, the thing I was really excited for. So I start driving down to the city and I get a call from him and he says, Hey, I need you to do me this huge favor. Please, can you do me this favor? Please, I feel weird asking, please. I'm like, what is it? Can you please go and buy some sheets and put them on my sister's bed? And I was like, I feel really uncomfortable doing that. Right. I don't want to go back into your sister's apartment. I don't want to... I don't, uh, this isn't my problem, <laughs> essentially. Right. And he really begged me and, you know, he knows that I have siblings too. And I, he sort of was like, you know, if this happened to you with your family and da da da, he sort of put it in a way that I was sort of like, shit, maybe he's really in a, in a spot and, and this is a bad thing. And I had this moment where I was like, my, my mind is like, my mind is saying, oh, maybe I should believe the best in this. Maybe I should do the be better thing and be that person. But my gut was like, no. Mm. Yet, of course, somehow my brain was like, just do it, Rocky. Just do it. Like, So you bought some sheets. So I went to the bay. They were too expensive. So I left the bay. I, I didn't know how much sheets were. When sheets you're are, sheets 20, are expensive. They're so expensive, I had no idea. I went to Bed Bath & Beyond. The cheapest ones I could find were $80. Still very expensive. Right. And they didn't look anything like them. I mean, they were white. So I bought them. I, I drive to the apartment. I am standing outside, sweating bullets, pretending to be on like a fake phone call until someone opens the door. I go in, I rush in, like 007 styles, like open it, clean the... Put the sheets on, do a once-over, get the hell out of there, put the key back and like run out and like get back into the car and I'm like really, really stressed. Yeah. <laughs> and I look at the time and I realize I'm not gonna make it in time for my dropping class. You have to be there like half an hour early to yeah. like succinct like to actually have a spot there. So I'm like, okay, I guess I'll just go home. Um, but at least I did the thing. So I sent him a message being like, I did the thing. You know, I'll talk to you later. Like, hope everything goes okay. So the next day, I, I, I don't get a message from him. So I send him a message being like, hey, um, how'd everything go? Did your sister notice? I mean, the sheets weren't totally the same, but hopefully everything went okay. And 
by the way, the receipt was $80, so you could e-transfer me whenever you want. Right. Um, and I got no response. You got no response. So you bought him $80 sheets and he didn't he didn't send you any money. He didn't send me... I, I mean, I sent him a message about it. He said initially when I bought the sheets, I was like, they're 80 bucks. Is that okay? And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll e-transfer you. I'll e-transfer you. And I was like, okay, sure. I mean, 80 bucks was a lot for me. I was yeah. working at a golf course. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And so I sent them... Yeah, I had sent him that message. I got no response. A couple of days later, I sent him a message. I got no response. I have never heard from him. This was... He never paid. I never got the $80 back. Oh my God. I broke and entered into someone's home over something that was technically his fault. And I never got that money back. And he's just living his life. <laughs> I, I will say that the good thing that came out of it yeah, is that like after all that happened, I, I always go back to that moment. That moment where I was like, my gut is saying no. My instinct is saying no. My brain is saying just do the right thing. And it was such a pivotal... Like, I remember it so, like, photographically, like, what was happening at that moment. And did you make it to the, the drop-in class? No, I didn't make it. And that's why. And I just remember going back and flashing back to that moment and thinking, like, I didn't make it to the drop-in class, which was so important to me because this is, like, this was the thing that I was starting and wanting to do. I mean, I'm a comedian now, but at that time. And that's why I was like, you know what? I'm never gonna let this happen again. And that's why like the good thing that kind of happened out of it is that I decided I'm not doing those fucking drop-in classes anymore. I'm signing up for a class. I'm taking this seriously so that I have a space and I'll never miss that. I'm gonna drive and be there for that time, for that space. And I'm not gonna let anything sort of deter me out of that. Yeah, that's so, great. Yeah, I mean, it was... And, well, now here I am, a comedian. Ha-ha. Ha-ha. Uh-huh. <laughs> and now here we are in a pandemic with masks on. Exactly. Uh, but you know what? That's really great. I love that it's a... You need those moments where you're like, I'm not wasting my time on people that don't respect me. Yeah. That don't give me as much as I give them. And I'm not going to forgo something that's important to me. Yeah. For people that don't give a shit. It was also like this very important moment, I think, for me as a woman, too, to just be like, I feel like I I get into these places where I'm like, oh, I just want to believe the best. I just want to be polite. I just want to really, I want to help you out because you're in a bind. But my whole body and my like instinct was being like, Hey, Rappy, this is not your problem. You don't need to do this. Yeah. What's, why do you need to do this? But for whatever reason, I like, I, I felt like I had to. And it's just, ever since then, it just sort of reinstated these moments in my life where I think, you know, I flash back to it. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Trust your instinct. Yeah. Your instinct's you know right. The, the first red flag for me was that he was more worried about his sister finding blood on the sheets then checking if you were okay. Yeah. That's, that's, that was the first tell for me is like, this is not a decent dude. No, not a decent dude. Well, I really appreciate you sharing that personal story with me. Yeah. And I'm glad that it's led to you being such a killer in comedy <laughs> in a kind of weird way. Um, do you have social media that we can follow you on? Oh yeah, of course. You can follow me uh, at Rakikola on Instagram or Twitter. Great. Don't, don't know if I'm putting out like the best stuff right now. We're it's all in a pandemic, content. okay? It's really good content. 
Oh, yeah. Thanks so much, Raggy. Thank you. Bye. Hello, and welcome to the panel discussion. This is the very first Zoom panel discussion I have ever facilitated on this show. And this panel discussion is all about comedy. And I'm lucky to be joined with two very funny men. Both these men performed on the Second City main stage with me for a period of time. I'm joined by Devin Highland, who is a comedian and musician. Hello. Hey, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. And I really had fun carrying you on the Second City main stage. <laughs> that is such a shitty thing to say. No, no, no. We were we carried each other. There were times you were weak and I carried, right? Sure. No, check the tapes. I don't think that happened. <laughs> and I'm also joined by Brandon Hackett, who is a... You com- both carried me. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. He's a comedy performer and a writer. Hello, Brandon. Hi, what's up? Uh, not much. Just uh, had a cold, and I'm 99% sure it wasn't corona, so I'm feeling good. Did you get tested? No, but my friend got tested who spent a lot of time with me, and I'll find out what he says today. But if I okay. feel, I don't feel sick anymore, I might get tested. I should get tested. Should I get tested? Um, yeah, you should get tested. I thought you had to have, like, a fever. You can't just have a sore throat. No, some people can, um, I mean, some people are asymptomatic or very lightly, like, have light symptoms. Um, uh, and it varies from person to person, too. And the severity is definitely different among people, too. So it's worth worth giving a, getting a test. Thank you. Okay, good. <laughs> I feel a lot better. So, do you right. want to do this? Do you want to do this later so you can go get a test now? <laughs> uh, no, I'm good. I'm good. I like that we had a little CDC moment on the on the panel discussion. Uh, jumping into comedy, you guys are funny guys. I want to start with a very obvious question: How did you find out you were funny? Were you funny as kids? When was a moment that you remember getting that first? laugh okay so the first time i like uh i felt that i liked uh, i i i felt as that i was like funny was uh i was in grade five you know grade five teacher who uh found like an abridged or an adapted version of 12th night uh and uh staged uh staged that production with us grade fives and uh she cast me as Malvolio, I guess, because I had like a weird, um, I had very much a performative energy as a kid. And uh, I remember putting on like a big, whatever I thought was an English accent at the time at 10 years old and uh, and really just like, just going full ham You're a ham on sandwich? It. And, uh, yeah. And um, yeah, it was, it was super fun. And um, I just remember my, seeing my friend's mom dying. Uh, just laughing so hard not because it was especially like great but it was just who was this 10 year old boy behaving like this camp uh (laughs) english uh english fuss pot so that's the first time i I think i thought it was funny yeah you know it's funny you say that they were dying laughing but not necessarily because you were funny because i remember watching the special features on freaks and geeks and i can't remember this guy's name but he does kevin pollock's video podcast he's one of the three main guys on freaks and geeks you guys know who i'm talking about he's like he's like very he, he belongs to the friars club 
Uh, not Martin Starr. No, not Martin Starr and not Sam, but the other guy. So anyway, he was like all proud of his audition. And then afterwards they were like, no, we were laughing at you. Oh my God. <laughs> and then they cast him on the show. Um, but that's right. great. I would have loved to have seen you, Brandon, as a, as a, you know, a hammy, uh, what was the name of the character you played? Mer- uh, Mal- Malvolio. It's very Malvolio. on brand for you, too. I feel like if you were going to tell me the first time you were funny, it being Shakespeare <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, yeah. And that's the big sense of what the Brandon persona has become. Uh, uh, what about you, Dev? Well, I wasn't funny really for like a long time until I was about 13 or 14. And then I was out walking in the woods, and there was this rock that has a star on it, and I picked it up underneath it. Lo and behold, there's this weird gas, and I breathed it in, and ever since that day, you know, I've been been riffing, riffing. They just breathed in some helium, I guess. Yeah, and the high-pitched voice really, you know, endeared me today. I think that was on your your resume. It said gas rock somewhere in there. Yeah. Well, I don't know why you got a copy of my resume because <laughs> I don't hand those out for free. Whenever I go to casting and they like headshot and resume, I say, "Yeah, that's two forty. That's actually how uh, Tim and Eric got Bob Odenkirk's attention because they they put an invoice for uh, the cost of the package that they sent out to him, <laughs> and they put that on the front. He thought that was funny. That's great. oh, is it for real? Yeah, yeah. So that's so brazen and so funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. do you have but any... I don't know, just as a kid, my dad was funny and, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what were your past comedic influences, guys, and who do you like now? Like, people in the game right now, who excites you when you watch them, and who did you like when you were younger? Um, I, when I first started, you know, I liked Robin Williams a lot, and I liked Jim Carrey a lot, and I liked the end credits of Liar Liar when they were doing all those outtakes, and, and Jim Carrey, you know, was like, it was me, and uh, a goose, and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> um, it just looked like so much fun, so I wanted to get into film at that point, but it, just in terms of being funny, like my dad used to do this voice where, you know, a lot of people do this voice where it's like, Hey, how's it going? And like that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but then he wouldn't do it when I was older. Like when I was like ten or eleven, I was like, "Do that voice," and he got very uh, self-conscious and said no. Um, <laughs> but uh, that was it. That's my story. And now, who do I like now? I like everyone on SNL, um, with I don't think any exceptions this season. Uh, I'm a big SNL head. I always follow SNL and, and I watch every episode. And, People say it sucks, but I say, you know, every episode there's going to be one good sketch in there. Plus, they don't do the whole episode for you. They do it for all of America. So, you know, maybe this sketch isn't for you, but the next one will be. So, Brandon, uh, what would you say your comedic influences were in the past? And who are your personal favorites right now? Um, So, in the past, I think growing up, the, I mean, it was mostly TV, mostly TV shows. Um versus actual comedians excuse me um yeah mostly tv shows versus actual comedians so uh growing up the shows that most made me want to or most shaped the style of comedy that i eventually wanted to go into uh were shows like um the simpsons uh, which is huge for i think our generation um and um in living color was a very big one um if uh, for anyone who doesn't know, that was a 90s sketch show uh, uh, 
uh, uh, created and produced by the Wayans brothers. Uh, and it was largely a showcase for them, but also a showcase for other like cool performers, including uh, at the time Jim, at the time James Carey. Um, uh, that was his sort of first big uh, break, I think, in showbiz, or his first big show. Um, uh, I loved uh, Mad TV too when I was really young, and I always. Uh, I feel like I have this conversation with a lot of people, or this is always such a like. This is always like a. I get one of two responses basically from other people. So either I mention Mad TV, they're just sort of like, okay, uh, or uh, I get, uh, oh yeah, Mad TV was way better than SNL at the time at a specific period in the 90s, uh, which is something that I actually kind of agree with. I, I mean, I, I really do um, really do love SNL, but I do think that uh, for certain periods in the 90s, it, it had kind of become a little bit um, stayed or, 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 you know, it had sort of settled kind of into this kind of like malaise uh, based on that sort of format. And obviously it's like, self-revitalizes every couple of years but i felt that mad tv was sort of this um this sort of fresher like character-based alternative to snl for for a hot minute i think specifically when you had like deborah wilson and, and phil lamar and nicole sullivan and um pat kilbane and uh, will sasso and stuff like that in the show there was a couple couple years that were really kind of exciting and fun and then eventually got to be a little bit um <laughs> it got to be a little bit much with the uh characters i mean i think Miss Swan didn't need to happen in the first place. Uh, and uh, they decided to make like an entire season's worth of material of just Miss Swan sketches. Um, and then when I got a little bit older, I started getting into, like Conan and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, I'm a big Conan fan. Yeah. I love Conan. I, okay, let's do the vote here. What are the yep. favorite late night talk show hosts? Because I, 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 there's ones that I can't stand. And then there's ones that uh, I really love. I think Conan's my favorite. What are you guys' favorites? Conan um, first, and then Kimmel, and then the rest are... Oh, and then and then Myers, and then the rest are... Okay. Mm-hmm. So for of all time, then... Um, oh, I didn't know so. Well, you, you mentioned Kimmel. Um, Isn't he, he's, Kimmel's still going? Yeah. yeah, he's still going. Yeah. Okay, all right. He seems um, to be in uh, his dining room or something. Uh, for me so i never i i never really watched letterman and i wish i had because i feel like a lot of my like cooler cooler like smart uh smarter like comedy friends really were into letterman at a young age uh or i feel like people who are really into letterman at a really young age are like a, a, a very specific type of like mindset um uh, that I always sort of like maybe was maybe envious of, if that makes any sense. Um, but um, I, yeah, so Conan would be my favorite uh, of all time. Um, and then, uh, I mean, I really like, right now, I like Seth Meyers, to be perfectly honest, or I like his show, um, just because he's very, uh, he's got some of the best monologue writers, it's very smart, it's very funny, I think his proximity to um, uh, SNL and SL performers sort of, uh, and writers, uh, sort of breeds a really kind of like hipper sort of energy to the show. Uh, and then, um, I mean, I feel like that's sort of it. I mean, I, I really liked Colbert when he had the Colbert Report, but that's not even necessarily really a late night show. Um, yeah, I think probably everyone else after those two. Okay. Um, yeah. Switching gears. Switching gears. Hey, Lindsay, Lindsay yeah. what about you? What's your... Uh, Who do I love? Who's your favorite? Hey, can favorite? I guess? Can oh, I guess? Yes, go ahead. 
Is it is it Mike Bullard? <laughs> oh, you got me. Mike Bullard and Marilyn Dennis. Those are my top top three. <laughs> Uh, I, I like Mar- I like Marilyn Dennis. She's really? Great. Yeah. She I, was, I once bugged her while drunk. I, f- I, w- I was at an event of some kind. And I had you come wait. off you come off really good in this story. <laughs> I had too much white wine, and then I approached Marilyn Dennis, and uh, <laughs> I I went up to her, hammered, and it was because there were a lot of celebrities around. And I felt weirdly because she was the least of the celebrities. Like somehow that somehow made it okay to go up to her and talk to her. <laughs> uh, and I went up to her and I said, when are you giving out free stuff next? Is what I said. Wow. <laughs> and she, look, she was not having it. She gave me the most like get out of my face response. <laughs> I really deserved it. I don't know. What is an occupational hazard about working in comedy that really bothers you? Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, It drives me crazy. People that confuse the premise or subject matter of a joke with the target of the joke. And then they immediately, you know, go on to Twitter or something and they cancel people. And sometimes people do need to be called out, obviously, but it upsets me when it's people that have no ear for comedy that don't seem to understand what the butt of the joke is. Uh, what do you guys feel is a thing that makes you crazy? Well, I'd like to talk about that one. That, that yeah. one is so interesting to me because teaching improv for, you know, I don't know, it's like seven or eight years now. Um, it, it, people come in and they think that that is the way to go. And I, I, when I first started, I definitely wanted to be like, why can't we talk about these things? Why can't I be the bad guy? And then, you know, the, the lesson is learned when the bad guy loses. Mm-hmm. Or why can't we explore this sort of taboo area? Um, I, I get what you mean. Like you just say a certain uh, like hot button word and then people automatically will label it as, you know, a, a not woke uh, thing, but it's it's really weird. Uh, I don't have a good answer for it. I never have a good answer for my students, but certain things you talk about them, and people will have experienced those traumas, like in the audience. Like if you do jokes about sexual assault, like that that's going to bring up stuff for people in the audience, and that's going to make your audience unhappy. And you're allowed to do, I think, what you want in your art, but do you want to make your audience unhappy and and angry? But, I think um, but the, then you can go the whole way and say, like, well, people have had, you know, eye infections. And should I not do any eye infection humor because that's going to trigger something in somebody? So uh, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm missing I, the point I, here I with do, my ramblings. No, no, it's a really good point because uh, I think what you're saying has truth to it, obviously. But there, it also kind of implies that by making a joke of a really dark matter, that mm-hmm. that, that can only be... Uh, hurtful as opposed to actually relieving and cathartic, right? Okay, well, yeah, let's take it back from from making that the target, but let's just saying invoking that idea, like even just bringing up that idea, like that's what you're saying, right? Yeah, I guess, but I I guess what I think is uh, I've seen moments where people will bring up a thing that affects those people personally, and because of the way in which they are a smart comedian and who the voice is that is speaking, sometimes it even releases the tension of that 
kind of thing. I, I mean, I think of a friend of mine who has a show called This Is Cancer, where he plays the physical clown manifestation of the disease. And mm-hmm. he has people that get very upset because everyone's lost someone to cancer. Um, mm-hmm. But at one point in the show, you know, he has these like cathartic moments that actually allow people to hate him as a clown, laugh at him, mock him. And it ends up becoming, bless you, uh, it it ends up becoming a really positive experience because comedy can walk that line and not not necessarily be there to traumatize, but to heal. I don't know. And I think you're right. It's really complicated. Maybe it's like your skill level. Like you can't, you know, who you are and your skill level. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately it has to be, it has to, it's sort of like a, it's like a situational thing too, and the sensitivity. Um, Obviously skill level uh, uh, influences how, skill level will sort of basically determine how uh, well someone is able to handle like a topic, but um, I think with regards to like, with, with, with like touchier subjects such as like, I apologize for bringing us into this specific like darkness, but um, like topics like sexual assault or um, uh, like racism or like anything that's sort of like uh, you know hardcore. I mean, I, I do think things like those can be subjects like those can be tackled, but they just have to be done tastefully uh, and um, in my opinion, not in a way where you're kind of like. I think in, in most people's opinion, in a way where you're punching like up, you're punching up at sure. the thing that is um, uh, that is the oppressive um, figurehead or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I um, mean, I always loved how our shows, in particular, the ones we did at Second City together, we got to tackle those major issues in a way that was mm-hmm. funny. And um, I, I mean, I think the show could have been boring if we didn't go to those areas. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's funny, you know, it's because some people say they want to go out to forget about that stuff. And then you bring it up and they're like, oh, great. Now I got to think about this again. But other times you bring up that sort of stuff and it, yeah, it's like cathartic for people. And maybe it's nice to have it spoken so that there can be more conversations about it. So it's not something that you have to like feel shame about. But then there's the other side. I think we're sort of getting away from like the idea of getting canceled from from talking about these sort of things. I, I don't fear that so much. Um, I don't fear like blurting something out in an improv scene, but when I do write sketches, I never really, um, they're pretty, they're pretty goofy. Like they're not, I don't think I'm in uh, at risk of going to those, um, uncomfortable places. Right. Just with my comedy. Cause you have a different style that you prefer. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? Maybe it's in some ways cowardly to just do the goofy, funny stuff. Um, Because I think that there are a lot of people at Second City who didn't have, who weren't able to do like happy-go-lucky goofball scenes uh, all the time because they felt like they had something that they needed to say to the audience. Whereas I never felt, uh, well, I have opinions on things, but my my favorite humor was just always the the goofier kind right it's funny what you mentioned before devin about you know 
having people in an improv scene play the villain. And for me, it was such a hard thing moving to Toronto because the, the improv place that I trained at was so much about, you know, when you play a villain, you don't even necessarily have to be so ridiculously a villain that everyone knows. They would mm-hmm. honestly have you play a character that suddenly halfway through the scene says something that makes the audience kind of gasp a little, like, like as if it's yeah. everyday evil. It's relatable. And yes. um, when I moved out here, I remember doing improv sets and deciding I'm gonna play a horrible person. And I Mm -hmm. just assumed everyone improvised the way I did. And I ended up in a certain scene getting hung out to dry by another person who didn't like destroy my character. And they actually got very frightened and treated me as though what I was saying was my own views, which was my worst nightmare. Cause to me, I'm like, we're actors, We're, we're playing characters. And I remember getting off stage after horrible awkwardness and turning to her and going, you left me to die out there. Now everyone in the room (laughs) thinks I think that. And I just realized, you know, maybe one of the keys to talking about harder issues or, or playing a villain or what have you is playing with people that you trust and that you understand what you're both trying to achieve together. Improv is such a risky one to tackle those things, especially if you're with someone who's like, I don't even want to touch that topic with you. Last question, guys. I want to talk about being Canadian and being in comedy. Uh, A lot of famous Canadian uh, comedy figures, uh, you know, we're a country that has some funny exports. Um, Unfortunately, uh, sometimes the uh, Hollywood North thing does not um, make make anyone super famous. Um, I'm curious how you guys feel with the pull that some people have to go down to LA or New York or staying here. Um, how do you guys feel about where you're at with that? So for a very long time, I, when I was, um, working towards, um, whatever the big comedy job was that I wanted to get, um, I figured that if I got it, then my next step would be America. And I never really, I never, I always, when I thought of America, I always thought about like New York, um, because that's a city that I have loved traditionally, like a lot of people. Um, and, you know, I wanted to work late night or, or whatever. Like, I, I just wanted to find my way there. And I think at some point after getting the main stage job at Second City um, and getting like, a t- you know a tv writing job or whatever i think <sighs> reaching those points i kind of quickly became disenchanted with the idea of um with the idea of moving to the states and for several reasons and one was that it had taken so much energy to try and establish myself whatever that meant uh, or whatever that means uh, in toronto uh, and I was getting work anyway, so it was sort of like, if I can hopefully keep this up, and um, if, I, if I can keep this up and sort of like survive, like, you know, pay my bills and stuff like that, I'm, I'm absolutely fine. I want to sort of build and uh, contribute to building a, a, a great scene or a great culture in Canada. 
So that's one reason. And the second reason was that I uh, don't think I like America anymore. Uh, uh, I suppose I like the, I suppose there's certain elements of it that I like, and, and obviously a lot of people can be really wonderful. It's not necessarily the uh, fault of uh, really nice people, but I, I think that it's not an ideal place to live at this current moment in history. Sure. Um, so, um, and I also just didn't want to like have to work to reestablish myself again in the states like it was painful and long and you know emotionally draining here having to try to establish a name or a career for myself and to kind of like take a gamble on moving to la which is a place that i've never had any real interest in do you think it's a it's a point in life thing like do you think if you'd somehow achieved all that you've achieved here and you were 25 right now do you think you'd mm-hmm. want to go down or do you think part of it is like, you know, we get into our thirties and we go, I don't want to go back to zero and start brand new where I don't know anybody. I think that might be it. I mean, I think if I were 25 and I had, and I, you know, I were where I am now, I, I think I'd probably, to be perfectly honest, I'd be probably still cocky enough to, uh, uh, to go to, to move off somewhere because I, you know, I, I still, have, I still have so many years out of me. I have more, you know, ideas. Like I, you know, I think, yeah, reaching 30, I'm like, I have no ideas anymore. I, you know, like, <laughs> I, you know, I just want to live my life and, uh, you know, be happy and sort of establish whatever. Like I'm, I'm tired of, and like Gary, Gary Rideout, I remember him saying something that really, sorry, I'm, I feel like I'm taking this whole no, question. No, no, no. What did Gary but, say? Well, he said that like to be an artist means that you have to start everything in your life 10 years later than normal people. And, uh, you know, I, I just, after a point, I kind of got like, you know, I was, I barely remember what I did during my 20s. Like, my entire 20s, I was just like hustling for comedy uh, and uh, working these like shitty, like low paying, like minimum wage jobs and like exhausted all the time, mm-hmm. you know, hoping that I could, you know, get a big job or something like that. And now I'm like 33 and I'm like so burnt out and, um, you know, I'm I'm just, there's a part of me that's just like, was it worth it? Did I enjoy my 20s? Like, what did I do? So anyway, to answer, to put a bow on your your question, um, I don't think, at this stage right now, I don't think I'll be moving to the States, but I necessarily want to move to the States uh, unless I were offered a job. Uh, I, I resonate. I, I resonate <laughs> with what you're saying, and and also what Gary said about starting things later. It's kind of similar. I remember in theater school, they all give us like the first day scare you speech, and I remember them mm-hmm. saying, if you ever want to own a house or have a kid, the chances are a lot less likely if you decide to go full hog into this profession. And that always mm-hmm. kind of stuck with me. It's kind of like the do things ten things or do things ten years later. Um, yeah, it really does put an actual logistical wrench in your life plans. It does, yeah. Yeah. What about you, Dev? New York or bust, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I want to go. I want to go. Um, I, I totally agree with everything you guys are saying and I'm very tired now. I'm the same age as Brandon. Um, but I want to be the best and I want to go to the place where the best people go. And I want to see if I can, if I can hack it, uh, Brandon hack it. <laughs> I want to go to the highlight. Oh, oh, boy. Yeah. 
<laughs> Sorry, what, what, what did you say, Brandon? I was Oh, I made a worse pun, uh, which is uh, you want to go to that highland. Oh, oh god! Boy. It's not really a, a play on any. Oh god! <laughs> All right, let's let's mullen that over and uh, okay. no, oh, see, we're still going, we're still going <laughs> nonstop. All of our last names, everyone. Um, yeah, I I kind of feel a mixture of both of you. It just depends on the day of the week. I I too want to go to Los Angeles and I want to keep going, but I also feel tired a lot of the time. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Let's. It's hard. I mean, I also think that um, because there is a ceiling here, sometimes, you know, my fear sometimes is that, like, I will never, I will not grow past where I have, past the point where I'm at now, you know, like. Already pretty tall. Yeah, you know, I'm 6'5", but, you know, I want to be 8 feet tall. Um, But, like, you know, like, sometimes I'll look at, like, some Canadian comedy and kind of cringe. just because it's like very Lindsay's show, you mean like Lindsay's, uh... <laughs> like a burlesque uh, comedy what? show? What? What? You guys need to see it. I'll give you free tickets. Just hold off right. on the reviews. You know what? I just want to say this too. Bedpost is a good show that has both burlesque and comedy. If anyone's looking for a good show, I'm, I'm not even involved in this show. Just Bedpost. Oh my the god! Live show in Toronto. Yes, she's but, great. Um... It's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the better version of you. Okay, you know what? I think this is a great area to wrap it up. Uh, Devin going to America, Brandon uncertain, Lindsay, Lindsay, uh, Lindsay Dunno, Lindsay Mullen. That's me. Uh, Guys, thank you so much for being on the podcast on the very last episode. Uh, I appreciate it, and um, it's been lovely talking to you both. You too. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much for having us, Lindsay. If you could just jump off this call, Brandon and I are going to talk for a bit. <laughs> You're <laughs> such a jerk. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Bye bye. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Q and A portion of this episode. Yes, that's right. I have put a call out for questions that I can answer on this final episode. I've been asking for months. I went to you listeners and I said, hey, do you have any questions about me personally? Do you have any questions about the podcast and how it's made? About any past episodes? Any any uh, burning questions about comedy or performing? Anything. I'm willing to answer pretty much anything. And so I got a bunch of submissions and I have narrowed it down to six questions that I will answer. This is really fun for me because I'm very self-indulgent. Um, let's, let's jump in. I've kept it anonymous. Question one. This question came in through my Instagram in response to an Instagram story. How are your teeth so amazing? What's your routine? Oh, first of all, I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for this question. This uh, compliment in disguise. Um, I feel amazing because I am obsessive about my teeth to a fault. It's a mental health issue. I'm not joking. It is. Um, 
So you saying that my teeth look nice really hits a nerve and makes me feel really good. So thank you. Um, I obsess over it too much. I have had braces. My straight white teeth are not God-given. I had braces in high school. I asked for braces. I got braces. Um, I pressured my orthodontist to get them off in time for prom. He bended to the will of a 17-year-old, I guess, and he tightened the lower braces a little too tight and killed one of my front bottom teeth. And over the years, it turned gray. And that was heartbreaking for me, especially as an actor and someone who's constantly having to look at themselves on film or in photos. Uh, It slowly turned gray. And as I got more obsessive over it in my mid-20s, I decided to get Invisalign. So I wanted to straighten my teeth even more. And then once I straightened them, I wanted to get two veneers on the bottom teeth to block out the, the darkness of that gray tooth. And that's what I did. And I'm so glad I did it. I was going back and forth on it for a really long time. And I'm glad that I did it. The thing is, is when you get veneers, um, the color you pick is the color you pick. So I have to whiten all my surrounding real teeth on a regular basis to make sure they are always matching the front two veneers. So uh, anytime the front two are looking particularly white in comparison to the other teeth, I know it's time to do uh, a little uh, whitening action on everything else. So I order um, whitening syringes from eBay or Amazon or whatever, and they are um, carbamide peroxide tooth bleaching gel dispensers. <laughs> they come in different levels of percentages. Um, I am not a dentist, so do not do anything involving your teeth without talking to your dentist. I am no professional. I'm just a person. So please, um, talk to your dentist about whitening. Um, and, uh, that's what I do. I put them in my retainer trays and I leave them in for an hour and it whitens them and I do it once every two months or something. Also, I like to swish with coconut oil. It makes my gums a little more healthy and it's good for whitening. So, and it's all natural. The important thing is to make sure you don't harm your enamel. So please talk to your dentist if you want to whiten your teeth. Don't just listen to me. Okay. Question number two. How many of your guests have you boned? Wow. Okay. Here we go. So um, let's get really specific here. By boned, I'm assuming you mean penetrative sex. This is so personal. Um, Well, here's what I will tell you. When I received this question, I looked at the list of guests that have been on the show. We've had 125 guests on the show. And... Some of them have been ex-boyfriends, okay? So, like, 
yeah, I've slept with guests that are on the show. And yes, some guests I slept with after interviewing them. The interview was foreplay. Um, So my number of the 125 guests, I (laughs) I have had sex with six of them, plus an honorable mention. So I didn't fully have sex with that honorable mention, but they should be mentioned. So six. That's less than 6%. I figured that out on my computer's calculator. So, what can I say? I'm a wild woman. Go back and listen to uh, some of the episodes and uh, see if you can spot who I'm flirting with. You can hear it in the tone of my voice, you know? Okay. Next question, you saucy listeners with your questions. What have you learnt through making the show? Not to be boring, but a lot of what I have learnt is very technical, just interviewing skills. I've learned um, a lot about editing, just like leaving a pause so that it makes it easier for my editor when I'm recording. Like I try to leave a space or um i've learned a lot about um volume on a microphone and uh i've learned a lot about what makes a good story probably the number one thing i have learned is that people think that they don't talk for as long as they do. People don't have a good perception of time when they're being interviewed. People will tell me, oh, I have a story, it's only 10 minutes. It's never 10 minutes, it's usually 20 minutes. So people have no perception of time and it's my job to take care of them, not have them take care of me. So that's what I've learned through making the show. Next question, cake or pie? Cake. Cake. I do love key lime pie, but ooh, chocolate cake. Delicious. Next question. Is it true that the entire show is recorded from your bathtub? If not, will your next show be done from the bathtub? Okay. No, the show is not. (laughs) The show is not recorded from my bathtub. There was um, a segment on the dating episode where I interviewed Michael Savory in the bath, which I mentioned. And I'm sure I've done a couple intros from the bathtub, but I actually try to avoid um, doing a lot of uh, recording from the bathtub because there's too much echo. The bathroom has too much echo. I do love a good bath, though. I like to edit from the bathtub. Okay, next question. What does the future hold? Hmm. Well, creatively speaking, um, I'm trying to write a pilot right now. So that's something I want to work on throughout the rest of the summer and into the early fall. Uh, I'm also trying to meditate every day. 
Uh, I'm on day three. Today is day three. I'm going to meditate in a few hours. I'm trying to do 15 minutes of meditation every day. I sit on my deck uh, on this patio love seat I recently purchased and I try and just watch my thoughts for 15 minutes. This is my goal. Um, I think it will help my mental health. But yeah, I think what I'm hoping for in the future is to create uh, a pilot for TV and hopefully my show Tease can go to another theater in the near future when, when life gets back to normal. And also I've been auditioning for a lot of things, a lot of big things too. So I'm really hoping that one of those things pans out. That's what I'm doing in the future. Oh, and also I'd like to fall in love again. I'd like to fall in love again in the future. I'd really like to fall in love. And I'd like to move to a different city. I'm enjoying Toronto, but I'd like to experience a new place, new surroundings, new me. Okay, guys, those were my answers. Thank you for sending in your questions. Let's, uh, let's get back into our episode. Bye-bye. I'm sitting here with Colette Mix. Hi! Hi! How are you doing? <laughs> I'm very good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm very good. Uh, you are an actress and also a storyteller. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you have a really amazing story that shook me to my core. Mm. I saw you tell it on stage yeah. and I went, that lady, I have to follow her outside and I need to ask her yeah. to tell this story on the podcast. So Wonderful. thank you for agreeing to a stranger's request. My pleasure. Yeah. Um, before we jump in, you know, you're you're an actress. You said you are most well known for being on a Disney show. That's what? right. I was the mom on Naturally Sadie. Naturally Sadie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. What was that? That, uh, when was that or what was when it? When was that, that? That was, ooh, my, like maybe seven years ago. I did three seasons and... Everyone knows Charlotte Arnold. She played Sadie, and then she was on Degrassi, and uh, yeah, so it was lots of fun. You better believe I'm gonna <laughs> Google this. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Okay. So your story really affected me. I'm just gonna let you launch in. Okay. So I'm sitting in front of my very messy, cluttered desk, and I can taste this metallic taste in my mouth and I realize it's blood because I've been biting my lip staring at this phone number and it took me two hours to find this phone number and it's David's phone number and it's five minutes to midnight and I have to call him now you have to understand that I am two days into a three-day workshop that is supposed to cure me of incredible grief and deep, deep sadness. And one of the exercises of this workshop was call someone you resent and apologize to them for resenting them. 
Oh my god! I, I know it was really, really weird, and I, 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 sounds I, like it's taught by a passive aggressive ant. It, it, yeah, and it felt like it was taught by a passive aggressive ant. And this this workshop cost a lot of money, and I was really in a bad place. So, I decided I'm going to spend a lot of money, and I'm gonna I'm just going to be done with feeling so terrible because I've been very, well, very depressed for about seven years of my life up until this point. And I've already called two people. I've called my sister and have explained to her how I resented her for always asking me to do things and never really wanting to just spend time with me. And she thinks I'm crazy, which she might have been right. Um, And I called my ex-husband and he was thrilled (laughs) that I was apologizing (laughs) to him. So now I have one more person because the homework was call three people. And this guy, David, he's the one I really need to call because David is the one, David is the one person I resent the most. He has broken my heart. And for seven years, there's not a moment when I don't wake up and I think of him. Um, I'm not a moment when I go to bed at night and I think of him. And because of David, my entire life changed. As I said, he broke my heart, and I started to do things that were not typical of me. Uh, Now, typical Colette would be someone who's very well-dressed, very happy all the time, very smart, makes very rational choices. And in the past seven years, I have not been typical Colette. I've gone to every party I've been invited to. I've started drinking a lot more than usual. I flirt a lot, which was one of the reasons I met my ex-husband who I eloped with. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, we eloped to Niagara Falls, and I just ignored all the red flags. I like to call him the pole covered in red flags. <laughs> sure, I was in love with him, uh, and he was problematic, and I married him anyway. That was a mistake. Uh, anyway, so all of these terrible things were happening to me, and here I am, I have to call David. So I'm looking at the number, and I dial, and the phone starts to ring. And as it's ringing, that's when I realize, oh no, no, I can't, I can't, I don't know what I'm gonna say to him. I, I, how am I gonna tell this guy what I really think? And someone picks up the phone, and I hear a woman's voice, and she says, hello? And I wasn't expecting this, this is his wife. What am I gonna say to his wife? I, I, I can't, I can't tell her what I really want to tell her, which is your husband killed my mother. Your husband was not paying attention when he was driving his white Ford pickup and he was turning left on a beautiful sunny day and he was not paying attention when my beautiful, beautiful mom was crossing the street and he hit her and she fell backwards and landed on the back of her head and she let out her very last breath and I hate your husband and I am not going to apologize to him and I wish he didn't even exist that I I know I cannot tell this woman and I don't know what to do and and there's silence and she says hello is anyone there 
and I think to myself, okay, I have to talk to this guy. I need to speak to him. So I'm going to be really clever. And I am not a very clever person. I'm not like a cat. I don't land on my feet well. And instead I say, uh, your husband and I shared a very special moment oh, uh, <laughs> seven years ago, which changed both of our lives. And she interrupts me and she says, who is this? And I just give up. I, I, can't, I can't figure out what I'm going to say. So I just tell her, you're, I just tell her, my mother is the woman who, and immediately she says, just a moment. And she drops the phone. And I wasn't expecting that. Of course, of course she knew who I was. She's been in this story for seven years, just like me, just like David. And I hear her feet racing down the hallway of their house. And it was as if the windows of their house flew open and a storm entered. And I can hear her talking and I can hear these deeper tones of this man's voice, David's voice. And then I hear his feet coming towards me down the hallway. And as I hear his feet coming towards the phone, I think, what am I going to say? How am I going to say I'm sorry to this guy? I don't even know why I'm on the phone anymore. And then he says, hello. And I say, hi, David, I'm Colette. And he says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, Colette. I'm so sorry, I'm sorry, I wasn't paying attention. I, I don't know how I can apologize enough. There isn't a moment I don't think of your mom. When I wake up every morning, I think of her. When I go to bed every night, I think of her. And I'm so sorry, and I'm so, so sorry. And I'm so happy you called. And I, I really was floating out of my body at this point because all the while I had thought I was calling this man to apologize to him when really it turns out that the reason I called him was so that he could apologize to me. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. That mm. is, oh, he, yeah. you give me chills. You give me ch that's so. It's so hard to tell that story. It, I, yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful mm -hmm. story. Um, I'm so sorry. Thank you. That that happened to you. Thank you. Do you feel a sense of relief now? In telling it. In telling it, um, yeah, and also just as time has passed. No, I, I mean honestly, there's there's no relief from grief, even though that, that rhymes. it. The grief is so intense. I think the passage of time just teaches me how to better manage my sorrow. And that's the wonderful thing about storytelling is I'm able to actually take that moment that was surreal. I mean, talking to David was surreal. There's, there's a whole other part of the story that I'm still trying to craft and I'm going to turn into a, a one, yes. one woman show. But it's the telling of it that is cathartic for me because I'm able to share something that is so important to me and so scary because it matters so much to me and have people really care to listen. So that, I guess if there was any relief, it would be that I can share something where I, I felt so alone 
and and actually see that I'm I'm not alone. And you don't have to carry all that yeah. by yourself. Exactly. When you tell other people. Yeah. That's beautiful. Um, yeah. So that's a great segue. You <laughs> teach storytelling, <laughs> workshops, and classes. We're actually in the Second City Training Center in downtown Toronto right now where you teach a class. That's right. Yes. I teach What's Your Story 1 and What's Your Story 2. And we're looking at what's your story three, depending on enrollment. And I love it. I love teaching storytelling. I've designed these classes and every class is different, more or less, because every student is different. And I have a website, which is colettemix.com, C-O-L-L-E-T-T-E-M-I-X.com, where I post my observations of the classes and I'm going to be doing a a show for storytellers called Pluck. Well, you got to get me on there. I will. I would you gotta love that. You got to get me on Pluck. Yes, I would love that. Everyone's got a story to tell. Everybody does. Everybody is a story to tell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show. Um, so Pluck is going to come out. Uh, you don't have all the details on that, but it, it's a storytelling show you're creating right now. That's right. And the idea is it's Pluck Showcasing Courage. First person, first time. So what I teach is true storytelling or first person storytelling. And I want to have a venue where people can go. I'm aiming for the first of every month. Mm-hmm. Um, we're still trying to find the location where it's either the first time a storyteller is telling a story or the first time a person is telling a story. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm well, very excited. I wish you the best of luck with that. And thank, thank you so me. much for sharing that thank with me. Thank you, Lindsay. Bye-bye. Bye. And that brings us to the end of the last episode of Truce Be Told, the podcast. Wow. We're here, guys. We're here. End of the road. I'm very proud of this last episode. I think it turned out pretty good. Mission accomplished. This is how you leave the party. All right, let's jump into some thank yous because there's a lot of people to thank. This last episode had a ton of guests and I appreciate them for putting in their best effort and making this last episode so special for me. Thank you to Matt Foliot, Rocky Morizaria, Colette Mix, Brandon Hackett, Devin Highland, Nigel Vasquez, Avery Jean Brennan, Kathleen Vu, Andrew Hunt, and Ramona Williams. Thanks so much, everybody. All right, let's thank all the usual suspects. I want to thank Matthew Reed. He made the music for Truce Be Told. He composed it himself, and he really captured my essence. I was resistant at first, but he totally won me over. Thank you so much, Matthew Reed. Thank you, Catherine Fogler, for doing the podcast photography. And thank you to Kurt Furla for doing the graphic design on that podcast photography. Thank you to Trevor Pullman. He sits in the trenches editing with me. 
We've had so many good times. I bring you your Starbucks. We catch up on life. You hit all the keys of the keyboard and I just sit there and watch. I'm going to miss our times, Trevor. Thank you so much, Trevor Pullman. Also, thank you to the boys at the Sonar Network, Michael Mangiardi and Cody Crane. You guys are the reason this podcast even exists. I'm serious. It wouldn't have happened. It would have just been an idea in my head, and then nothing would have happened. I don't know how to produce a podcast, but but you guys do. Um, I just want to thank you guys for giving me a platform and for always helping me every step of the way and answering all my bullshit idiotic questions and helping me with technical hiccups and just being so patient with me during this process. You, you help my dream come to life and I am so appreciative for all that you do. Listeners, please check out all the other amazing podcasts on the Sonar Network. There are so many of them. There is so much talent. Please treat your ears. Okay. Now we're getting into the mushy stuff. We're getting, my heart is getting all mushy. Um, I am, of course, an artist. So I'm always creating new stuff. The podcast is ending right now, but I'm always writing. I'm always performing in shows. I'm always trying to create new shows. I'm doing improv shows. I teach classes. I'm always doing new creative stuff. So if you want to keep up with what I'm working on, you can follow me on Instagram. My Instagram is at Mullo. That's L-I-N-D-S-O-M-U-L-L-O. I also have a website, www.lindsaymullen.com. Yeah. If I could leave you with a final thought, let it be this. Truth Be Told is a show all about the truth, obviously. When I was coming up with an idea for a podcast, I wanted something that connected everybody. And I think the truth is what connects everybody. And telling true stories from your life is the best way to connect it makes us feel less alone in our experiences when we hear somebody else's experience and we relate and um, I hope if you take anything away from this show maybe it's the idea of adding more truth into your everyday life. This is all going to sound very cheesy and trite, but but it's true. I try to be very honest in my life. Honest with everyone I know, sometimes to a fault. 
And I try to be honest with myself. And the reason is because when my heart and my mind and my spirit are all aligned, they're all being honest with each other and they're all on the same page working towards the same thing. When I have that alignment going on, I feel happy and I feel at peace. And it's so hard to feel happiness. Life can be really, really difficult. And so anything you can do to give yourself that relief in life, do it. And honesty, honesty is in the details. The devil is in the details. You can just change little things in your life and become more honest and you'll like yourself more and you'll like other people more and they'll like you more. I'll give an example. Next time somebody asks you, how are you? If you feel like shit, tell them that. Don't do that thing where you go, oh, I'm great, good, yeah, you. Don't do that. Tell them you feel like shit. You don't have to get deep into it, but be honest, especially in these COVID times. I find if you answer that question honestly, the other person is just relieved because they felt like shit too. And it can feel comforting to know you're not alone in your feelings. Also, it doesn't have to be just negative how are you question situations. You can just be truthful about how you feel when it's positive. Is there someone that you love that you haven't told them that you love them lately? There are people in my life that I love and I would be devastated if they weren't in my life. And yet I feel awkward about saying I love you. I feel like it's nerve wracking. But I know I want to take more moments to say I love you. It's a small truth and it, it brings so much happiness to people. So tell the people you love that you love them because they're not always going to be around. They're going to be gone someday and all you're going to think about is how little you told them how much you love them. That's my two cents, everybody. Be truthful. Makes life more fun. Thank you for listening to this show. You have been a wonderful audience. Truly. Okay. Bye-bye. has been brought to you by the Sonar Network.